Welcome to Blight Christmas. This is your host, Sean Dillon. Part of what I love about producing this series is the sheer variety of work we get to share with you. And no one is more emblematic of that than Landman Land's Sam Landman. I'm always excited to see what he has up his sleeve because it is never anything I could predict. Here's Sam's dark riff on Art Garfunkel's discography and everything that follows. Enjoy Fate for Breakfast. You know, you're living your life according to some objectified humanistic viewpoint that you've been programmed to live by your parents and their parents and their parents since caveman times. But here's what I've done, man. I've propelled humanity into the next evolutionary phase of an enlightened age. So from now on, you know, I'm going to be the example that people are going to go by. They'll see what I did, this, this sacrifice of another, and they'll start setting things in motion. So our existence is right. So we're finally on a correct cosmic path. So the universe can finally be in balance. And yeah, this evolution, this new epoch we're about to undertake, it all started with the death of a granule, this Garfunkel by my hand. I mean, the smart money would have been on Simon, but here we are, man. The great deeds in history always start with the dirtiest grain of sand and a hapless hourglass, you know? See, what you're asking me over and over and over is, how could someone do that to Art Garfunkel? And I guess what I do is just turn that question back to you and say, how could someone not? In fact, how could I be the first and only person to attempt and succeed in such an act? So fine. You're looking for new answers that I haven't given already, so let's go a different tack, all right? Because you want this conversation to make it sound like I can't keep my story straight or, or whatever narrative your little Neanderthal cranium couldn't possibly comprehend anyway. So I'll follow the yellow prick road for you because you want to get on that stroll. You want me to dance a little jig, all right? So here it is. The very, very face value shit. I mean, you could hunt and pack and scrub all of Garfunkel's lyrics, as it were, the lyrics he was given, because, yeah, he doesn't play music like Paul Simon, he doesn't write music like Paul Simon. Artie did none of these things, okay? And when you sit him next to a goddamn genius, of course he's going to look like a drooling toddler. And that's as deep as where you want to go with Simon, okay? You don't want to know what I know. I'm done talking about Simon. Because Artie was always the bigger man, physically and mentally. He was a bully, all right? You pick on a little guy if you're close to his stature in some way. But this was an, like a decade of vast cruelty. And like I said, I'm not going there. That is what it is. And because you don't want the truth, the vicious blood-soaked reality, I'll lay it all out in Artie's album covers. Is that okay? Does that work for you so you get something visually you can actually understand and comprehend? Comic strips for the illiterate Philistines so you got something to talk about at the water cooler with all the other pigs. See, this, these, these, these seemingly innocuous photos on each album cover featuring our art, it's all about the eyes, man. So stay frosty, all right? I'm going in order and I'm fast. Angel Claire, 1973, squinty eyes, daggers emanating from them like utter contempt for anyone who plucked down their hard-earned cash to buy this tainted lullaby. Breakaway, 1975, he's got this come-hither gaze from a back table at Dan Tana's on Santa Monica, surrounded by his harem. One light and a cigarette, one would commit suicide a few years later, while Artie basically stood idly by watching. 
Watermark, 1977, lazing on a beach chair 50 feet away, intentionally keeping his distance from you, the viewer, the buyer of the album, the consumer. Can you feel it? But you can still make out his sneer, that smirk that even comes out in his eyes. And finally, the album that set all this in motion. This was the moment back in the 70s, man, when I realized I was going to be the one to take him down because he was the one who was forcing my hand simply by putting this album out into an already crowded market of malaise. It was called Fate for Breakfast 1979. Find this album, The Key to an Unlocked Door. An album you've probably never seen or heard or thought about. You know why? Because it sold absolute dick. It, it didn't move the needle for Columbia Records or Artie at all. Neither the record label nor the artist were able to recoup any expenses on this fucking shit pile. Because Artie, as with everybody in his life, manipulated a mega corporation. A hundred years strong, he bullied these fucks into manufacturing six different album covers for this one album. Yeah, this 1979 album, Fate for Breakfast, has six album covers. Very telling title, if you ask me. The equivalent of Kiss believing that if one Kiss album could garner, like, a million dollars, then four Kiss solo albums could bring four million dollars. Kale surprise, they sold shit. Same with Artie. He was snowing an entire populace as usual. But when you look at all six of these album covers, like I've done for years, buying multiple copies, wallpapering them around a tiny roach-infested efficiency, I mean, it's the textbook definition of vanity, this album cover. Look at his face on each of the six, man. I mean, say what you will about Artie. He's talent as an actor, but he's not even giving the photographer a lot of options here. His pomposity, licking a finger, his shit-eating half-grin, his cavalier attitude, his pursed lips, his utter contempt, drinking OJ, his mocking rictus. They're all there in each variation, man. And of course, his eyes black as coal, unfeeling, soulless. And that's what I knew. So he would learn a hard, brutal lesson down the line, and the rest of the world would take notice. But again, that's just surface level. Where it all started, and if it ended there, maybe, maybe, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here right now having our little chat, man. I don't know. It was the animal's Christmas that sealed the fucking deal. You ever heard of this? Artie's holiday concept album from 1986? Oh, fuck, man. Educate yourself. Just put the animal's Christmas on your turntable the next time you and the missus sit down for a cozy mug of eggnog and Jack Frost nipping at your nuts. You're hoping to cop a feel on a cold winter's night. It's like something out of Satan's subterranean fucking, 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 fucking playlist, man. On the surface, yeah, this album may sound joyful, but the harmonics, the production value, it's all meant to suck souls into the brimstone. All I'm asking you is to prick up your ears, man. You do the work for once. Though I, I don't expect much, since I'm the only one who's listened to these pagan diatribes and diatonic discordances of the animal's Christmas and understood what kind of sickening subliminals are being spewed from its speakers, EQ'd and dialed in and vomited into the minds of the unsuspecting public of dullards, man. But even if you could contemplate, even if you could contemplate this gaudy cacophony, this has more to do with a vibe, a timbre, a, a tone, a viz of this warped recording. This was the moment when Artie pulled an innocent into his fucking demented bone world, man. He molded this terrifying dunghill with one Amy Grant. Yeah, Amy fucking Grant, a Christian performer, virginal, clean, untouched, completely pure.
But once this album hit the shelves, once this became a seminal Christmas album for aunties and grandmas alike, once it began quietly seeping into the marketplace like tar, selling better than anything Artie or Amy had ever created, it transformed Amy Grant. It morphed or transmuted her ever so slowly, almost imperceptibly, into something secular. Whether she realized it or not, she was, at that moment, instantly chained terrestrial, pulled from her god, that's capital G, man, and the irony of ironies, the Animal's Christmas album tells the story of the nativity of Jesus, that's the biggest fucking joke of all that nobody's talking about. Fast forward to a few years later, Amy Grant sells her soul for a top 40 hit, number one in the Hot 100, and adult contemporary charts, with a song called Baby Baby, possibly the most inane pop song title ever. Almost like she'd become a parody of herself without ever knowing it or being aware. Sure, this was her second time betraying her lord and savior, the first one being with Peter Cetera, the next time I fall, but baby, baby, was her alone. She was solely responsible now. She was an angel waking from a dream, suddenly and forcefully succumbing to an earthbound existence by idle hands, cause her fall started with the animal's Christmas man, and that... The tainting of an innocent, I'm sorry, I simply could not abide by. See, here's the thing. What people don't understand about Mark David Chapman, all right? When he murdered Lennon, he didn't kill this beetle because he hated him. He took his life because he loved him, man. That was like the most pure love anyone in this seemingly barren earth could distill and inject into the holy heart and bullet-pointed brain of another human being. Chapman saw the turning of John Lennon. He saw the betrayal. He saw the hypocrisy. And that's what I saw in Artie. So that's what I did to my art boy. I loved him so damn much. My love extinguished his life force. Blew it out like a candle. I realized that within his very last breath, he was ecstatic that someone finally had the guts, the solid gold balls, to take that pain, that suffering away. And I was the one, I was the vehicle, I was the earthly hammer, the knife from the netherworld. I sliced into him, and I felt it when my fingernails dug into his chest cavity. I could feel it, the thumping inside. And when I pulled it out, he knew he was free from that moment on, man. And that's something he wanted, not something I wanted. He wanted it. <sighs> Jesus, I, I traverse space-time. And out of all those multitudes of thresholds and realities, he was picked for me. He was picked for me. So you see, I had to do this, because otherwise, who else would? And the thing is, and this is the last you'll ever hear from me, my last words... No matter how this all goes down, no matter what you offer me between the lawyers, the fucking bottom feeders, I'll never give all of Artie up. You hear me? You got the pieces you got. The parts that lie frozen in the cold, sterile basement of your little morgue. That evidence, that's yours. But there are pieces of Artie that will be with me forever. You'll never find the heart of Artie. That's my property. You'll never find his heart. Not at a billion trillion Christmases. The Dead North Podcast and Blight Christmas are a production of Oncoming Productions with assistance from Hot Chocolate Media. 
I have been your host, Sean Dillon, and intro and outro music are by Eric Ostrom. The copyrights for all pieces are held by their creators. If you would like to support the artists who've created this work, we'd love your support. There's a link to our PayPal fund in the show notes. We all wish you a very happy holiday season with just enough chills to make you appreciate the warmth of home, friends, and family. Stay safe out there. <laughs>